Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And this is our review of Rockstar, starring Mark Wahlberg, Jennifer Aniston, the vocals of Melchenko Matajevic, Jeff Scott Soto and Miles Kennedy, Dominic West, Jason Bonham, Jeff Pilson, Zach Wilde, Timothy Spall, Blas Elias, Brian Vanderark, Rachel Hunter, and Timothy Oliphant. Directed by Stephen Herrick, released in 2001 on a huge budget, Brian, and this one bombed at the box office, dude, and I have no idea why, because I saw this in theaters man i was jazzed about this i went and bought the soundtrack after it um i've really liked this one for a long time it's been years since i've seen it before this review but i had strong memories of this one what about you um i watched it uh after it came out on home video and uh apparently i watched it by myself because my wife had no recollection of ever seeing this movie and uh, she watched it with me so it was the first time for her which i thought was interesting because i don't know why i would watch it on my own uh we would have been married at the time but whatever um apparently i did and i like this one too now it's funny because on imdb it only gets a 6.4 out of 10 rating from uh, viewers, which I thought was interesting as well. And I'm curious as to why it gets such a low rating and all that, but we'll get into everything as we go through this. Uh, and maybe we can figure out why it gets such a low rating. But overall, uh, my, my thoughts on this were positive when I first saw it. I didn't get the soundtrack, which I, I kind of want to get now, uh, just hearing it last when I, when I watched it. And I got, yeah, I really kind of want to get that now, but, um, yeah, I bought the movie on DVD, and I think I now own it on Blu-ray. So I've had it in my possession, and I, it just blows my mind when Holly told me she had not, she doesn't remember ever seeing that movie. And I'm like, really? And I'm like telling her different p- parts that are coming up, and she's like, I don't remember any of that. <laughs> I know my wife had seen it too, and Rachel watched it with me for this one. I d- we did we weren't together in 2001. I don't even think I knew her. When I saw this movie, it was probably before I had moved to where I met her. But I know we saw it years later, probably because I own it on you know DVD or something, and we watched it. But, uh, yeah, I remembered this one, man. And I kind of also remembered this, the semi-inspirational story that's supposedly behind this. But if you ask any of the guys from Judas Priest or Tim Owens, uh, the, it's only in theory that they uh, they based uh, the story of this around him. Because the the story is, is uh, this is produced by George Clooney's production company and originally Brad Pitt was signed on to do this which right. can you imagine that for a second but they brought in John Stockwell to write this now you might know his name he's the other pilot that Maverick replaces in Top Gun he's in a few other movies he was in My Science Project which uh, Ron and I reviewed last year and he he went on to be a writer in Hollywood did a lot of script doctoring and being a good director too he directed a lot of 24 episodes he had this cool movie called Crazy Beautiful among other things but he wrote the original draft and then they actually brought in the person uh, who wrote Thelma and Louise to punch it up um, after it had gotten made 
Interesting. And stuff. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a movie that definitely has a lot of people working on it. And I'm talking about Callie Curry, by the way, who wrote uh, Thelma and Louise. It's got a lot of people working on it to make it successful. And Wahlberg had worked with Clooney on Three Kings. So that's why he stepped into the role. Jennifer Aniston, of course, got attached because the Brad Pitt connection and Clooney and all that. They were together at the time. They got married shortly after this. And so there, there were a lot of people involved. And then you get all these, I mean, I ran through the list of like all those musicians. And if you're into 80s and 90s metal, you know a lot of those names from a lot of bands. And we'll try to point them out here in a little bit. And then you've got some up-and-coming actors, too. Timothy Oliphant was really getting his start. I mean, I only knew him as the other killer from Scream 2 at that point. I don't think he had really broken out uh, yet. But he had been in some stuff, and so he, you know, I recognized him. And then, again, you've got all the uh, the folks. Timothy Spall was somebody that, that uh, Wahlberg was really jazzed to work with, and they've worked together several times since. So he was a good get. Dominic West was kind of on his way up. This is The Wire and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so you know you've got this this cast you've got this cool concept um, of the famous singer of this famous metal band leaves and they replace him with a guy from a tribute band which there's a difference between tribute bands and cover bands I, were you ever in either one of those kind of things Brian no I never really was um, we, we no we played covers from all sorts of different bands never. Uh, one specific, but I have seen quite a few uh, tribute bands out there, and they, they're definitely different, right? Cover bands usually cover multiple acts, and tribute bands are only that one act. Now, there are exceptions to that rule, such as bands like Hairball. I don't know if you know who Hairball is, but they're huge here in the five-state area, and they they put on a massive production where they do everything, you know, 80s and 90s metal, and they get into costumes for every single act. So if they're going to do Guns N' Roses, they bring out a singer that's dressed like Axl Rose. Their guitar player goes and gets dressed like Slash. I mean, they do the whole thing. And they go all the way through all these hair metal bands like Poison and Firehouse. And, and uh, it, you know they do ACDC. They end up with Kiss at the end, right? And they do everything. Pyro, everything. It's a huge deal for them. And um, you know that's a tribute act that does multiples, but the majority of them, I think, stick to one band. You know, you got your Kiss tribute, you got your Alice in Chains tribute bands, you know, that kind of thing. And we have quite a few of those around here, which is kind of fun if you're into that kind of thing. But um, no cover band for me, and really just covers of all sorts of different things. Never really focusing on a specific band. Yeah, I don't think I was ever good enough to be in a tribute band. I wasn't really good enough to be in a cover band, as it were, either. Um, <laughs> I find it funny when when uh, the Mark Wahlberg character gets really ticked off at Timothy Oliphant's character for not playing it exactly right. Yes. And I used to have arguments with my singers about the same thing. We'll get into that as we go. But <laughs> if you don't know the story, folks, Rob Halford, of course, is the, is the singer of Judas Priest and left the band and went on a really successful solo career of his own. Did not leave the band for the reasons that the singer in this band does. But, the, you know, they parted ways for a while and they replaced him with a guy who was in a Judas Priest tribute band. And Tim Ripper Owens had a different sound, but he could really sing. And he went on to have his own career. And I think he runs some, you know, bars and restaurants in, in Ohio. Oh, no, no, from he or whatever. He is the lead singer in KK's Priest. Oh, so KK Downing, okay, yeah, the guitar yeah. player, left Priest as well uh, after uh, the other guitar player retired. And uh, then they got back together with the retired guitar player and Halford and formed this other Judas Priest, and K KK wasn't allowed back in. <laughs> 
And so KK. This is like great white. All these yeah, bands do this. KK started his <laughs> own version of Judas Priest with Tim Ripper Owens as the singer now. So he, he's back. <laughs> I, can, I can see this one. Okay. Well, either way, the funny thing is, is if you ask any of the versions of Judas Priest or Tim Owens, they will tell you, like I said, that mm, maybe in concept and if we could sue, we would, but we really can't because <laughs> they tried to have like some creative input on this and the studio was like, that's okay. Like we, we <laughs> kind of have an idea where we want to go. And so whatever, you know, I, I knew that basic story. Now, confession. Not a big Judas Priest fan. It's not really you know my thing, but I do know their place in the metal lexicon. So I was aware of them, and I was aware of that story. And I saw the the ads for this when it was coming out, and I was like, "Holy cow! This looks like it'll be hilarious and fun," you know. And so, like I said, I remember going and seeing this in the theaters. And like right after it was over, went and bought the soundtrack. And I was like, yes. And I was jamming this out. Brian, I held on to my hair metalness for years mm. beyond I probably should have. Like oh, we've yeah. talked about that before on, on some of your shows on tracks and stuff, um, where I, I resisted the alternative. Uh, actually, I resisted grunge almost completely. Um, I got into the post grunge alternative rock stuff, like the Gin Blossoms and the Spin Doctors and, you know, all those kind of bands were sort of more my thing, um, than, you know, Nirvana and Soundgarden and all that kind of stuff. So I, I held, I was still listening to Poison and Rat and, you know, uh, Motley Crue and all that kind of stuff and ACDC and stuff while all of my other friends were doing the Seattle thing. So I, I, I guess I just had a soft spot for this going into it, even though this was, you know, many years after all that had taken place oh i held on to my metal badge even through the grunge and the alternative rock era i was the same as you i held out as long as i could but i tell you what when i heard alice in chains i i gave in to some of that pearl jam and alice in chains were the two that broke me uh it wasn't years it was years later when i allowed nirvana to get in and i allowed soundgarden to get in uh now i love them but, uh, yeah, I would, I would listen to Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains. Other than that, it was Metallica, ACDC, Poison, Motley Crue, you know, all those bands. Those are my bands. And part of it was because I had just started getting into them when it started to go downhill. Uh, I didn't get into metal really until 1990, probably, when I got introduced to Poison and ACDC. And then I started listening to Guns N' Roses and everything else. And, and I had a, you know, little barn band at the time. And we played most, we did some Pearl Jam, we did some Alice in Chains, but we were mostly Guns N' Roses heavy and Metallica heavy band with some Pantera thrown in there, right? So that's really what I was into. So I'm with you. I, I avoided the, especially the alternative rock. The alternative rock I avoided for, for a while because I was so pissed off at REM for ruining my, my, uh, <laughs> Radio station. No. no. That that was the one that was the one alternative act that I held on to because they were Southern. So as a Southern guy, that was like, okay, that's okay to like those guys. They're from Georgia. Yeah. You know, they're not, you know, these these Yankees from, you know, Seattle, which is a dumb thing to say. But you know, I mean that that was how I thought when I was fifteen or whatever. And so I, you know, I liked REM, and I'll tell you what turned me on, like Counting Crows and Matchbox 20 were my gateway drugs into the, the post-grunge alternative scene, and then everybody else followed after that, Gin Blossoms, all those other bands I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and and I, I liked, I got into, like you, I, on the other side of it, I kind of got into Soundgarden and, and really liked Chris Cornell's stuff and you know followed him for years. I liked Audio Slave. Not a big Rage Against the Machine fan, but I liked what those guys were doing with him. Um, I, I've never been a huge Nirvana fan, you know, you know no big 
big secrets there. Um, but uh, Alice in Chains is a band I, I liked. But I always thought of Alice in Chains as just, they're just a metal band that didn't want to be one. Because Jerry yeah. Cantrell could play like all those guys. <laughs> and yeah. so like they, they just didn't want to be the same thing as, you know, uh, Poison or whatever. Like, they, I like they to call them rat, sludge you know? metal. Yeah, they are kind of sludgy. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah I'm but, with you. But they're, but they're kind of that marriage of like Pantera without the speed, but that heavy thump sound, and then you know more of the the rock sensibilities with the uh, the alternative stuff. But anyway, we we could do music history all day. Uh, <laughs> but to get us back around to this, obviously you could tell this is something Brian and I really into. This idea was funny, and when I found out Mark Wahlberg was going to be in it, I was like, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch, because yeah. I knew him from that. You couldn't escape that crap oh, yeah. on TV at the time, and and you know you kind of knew his reputation. I knew he had gotten into acting. I I don't know that I'd seen him in much of anything, but I thought, okay, sure, we'll give that a shot. You know, um, I mean, he's kind of short for a metal singer, but okay, you know, it's not all of them are huge. So Ronnie James Duo oh, is only five feet tall, so right, it can happen. So it, yeah, they're right there together. So I was, I, I remember seeing the the trailers for this. And thinking, well, okay, this is going to be this is going to be interesting. And of course, Jennifer Aniston. I was not a Friends fan, but you could not escape her. I mean, at the time, she was Gen, uh, Gen X goddess, you know, yeah. out there. And so everybody knew who she was. So I thought, okay, this is going to be fun, <laughs> and and I'm just going to go with it. So I remember going again, going to see this in the theater, and just having a blast. I was with some friends, and some of them are kind of into the music. Not many of them, you know, were they're a little bit younger than me. And I just was like, guys, you don't realize what you're missing, you know. And so I again about the soundtrack, listened to a lot of. Of it. Um, I was a Steelheart fan though, and that's who's the voice of uh, of uh, uh, Chris Cole, the, the Mark Wahlberg character in this. So I was really aware of Steelheart, and what I loved about them is they had every one of their songs were five and a half minutes long. They were these rock opuses, and this guy just sang his friggin' throat off on them, mm-hmm. and it was unreal, man. He just, nobody sounded like that. No. Now, uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, at the time that this movie came out, was on a rise, right? He had just starred in Boogie Nights a few years before that. That really broke him as an actor. And uh, so I think that's why when Brad Pitt kind of stepped aside on this, they went with Mark Wahlberg as well, because he was up and coming. Uh, people liked what he had done and all that. But yeah, as far as Steelheart goes, man, they were one of my favorites, right? I loved I'll Never Let You Go, which was their big hit that broke them. And I especially loved their second album, Tangled in Rains. It is just a phenomenal album. And yes, this guy's range is unbelievable. And they just put out a new album, I think in 2017. And that dude's pipes are still there. I mean, he just, wow, floors me that he can still sing that way. It's unreal. You shared that second record with me before because I, I wasn't as aware of it, and it was just as good as that first one. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I knew that. So I, when I found out he was kind of the voice behind it, I was like, okay, this is going to be cool. And then, you know, again, it's just one of those I kind of held on to. And the fact that it was a huge flop kind of blows me away. I, I do think it's found a bit of a cult following, but I have a theory as to why it's got like a 6.4 rating. I, I got problems with the third act we'll get into, but I guess – Guess we should do a plot summary before we go any further here. We've, we've you bandied around for 15 minutes about it now. So Mark Wahlberg plays a guy named Chris Cole, who leads his Steel Dragon tribute band to a strict code following every move of his favorite group and his favorite singer, Bobby Beers, which eventually causes his band to dump him as they want to stop playing covers and do original material that Timothy Oliphant is writing. 
So when Bobby Beers and the Real Still Dragon part ways, a bootleg video shot by a couple of groupies of Chris performing with uh, his group makes its way to Still Dragon lead guitarist or, or leader of the band and guitarist, um, Kurt Cuddy. And he is invited for a tryout to L.A. So he goes with his girlfriend and manager, Emily, played by Jennifer Aniston. And Chris really impresses the Steel Dragon guys. And they offer him the gig as Izzy for their continued tour. They're in the middle of a tour. Bobby Beers quits. They have to bring him in. So Chris and Emily take off on the rock and roll roller coaster and are swept up in all of the excess, the success, and the trappings of the lifestyle. Eventually, Chris realizes while he is indeed living out his dream, his dream was really to be somebody else, and it's not nearly as satisfying as he thought it would be, especially when Emily leaves to start a business and live a more normal life. So during a gig, Chris overhears another voice in the front row reminding him of how he used to idolize that position within the band. He invites the dude on stage and takes off. And we see him sometime later with his hair cut, reunited with Timothy Oliphant in Seattle, singing more contemplative post-grunge 90s verve pipe rock Mm -hmm. uh, when he and Emily reconnect at a coffee shop and credits roll. That's kind of the straight line. There's a lot more that happens we could get into here, but that's the basic of the movie. And if you couldn't tell by my tone there, it's in that twist at the end that I'm like, I don't really know that the lead singer of Judas Priest would go join the Verve Pipe, but sure, whatever, because the lead singer of the Verve Pipe is in the tribute band as the bass player. So um, I, I love that we start out here, though, with these guys all going to the concert together, right? And Mark Wahlberg has got the look down. He is he has idolized this singer to the point that he's got like the exact jacket matching and he's got this piercing right and he's got the makeup right and all this stuff. And his parents seem to be into it. His older brother's a cop gives him shit about it. Um and they have some good comedy for it or whatever. Uh but we we get to see him go to the concert first and we get to watch him. And I gotta say, man, I, this reminded me of all the coolness of the mid-80s arena band concerts. I mean, they were a spectacle to see. They were definitely a spectacle to see. And, uh, you know, really the only the only comparison these days is Kiss, right? Kiss still puts on that huge arena-type show no matter where they're at. Um, you get some good concerts still from other bands, but nobody nears that 80s uh, just all-out blitz of things like Kiss does now. But it was really fun to watch, and of course, they're in the front row, and I just, I just love love this scene because you get Bobby on the stage and here's you know Chris singing every line exactly like him and outdoing him and it's really annoying Bobby on the stage you can see that he's looking at him like shut the hell up kid right and uh and then of course you've got the uh the uh what do you want to call him the um Backstage manager, what is what? What's his official Matt, title? Matt's Matt's, yeah, yeah, t- t- yeah. Matt's played by Timothy Spell is the road manager. There you go uh, of of this group. And if you know anything, if you've watched any like rockumentaries or or any stuff about like these bands, there always had to be somebody who had to be the quote adult in the room. Um, and that's what this guy would would have been, you know. And he, yeah, yeah, I was say kind of kind he's of loosely. somewhat the adult, but he's also the enabler. <laughs> Exactly. Well, maybe him. that's a better way of saying it. Yeah. The enabler in the room. He's the one who tries to keep everyone safe and in line, but yet let them have their fun. So you see, well, him- it's all about containing the explosion, Brian. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's what it absolutely. is. Absolutely. <laughs> but you see him in the crowd handing out backstage passes to all the hot girls, of course, and then. 
Chris goes up and asks if he can get one. The guy gives him that line, not without a sex change and a blowjob. And right. I, I just started laughing. That was a good line. Uh, but, you know, I mean, back in the days of that kind of band, this is what really happened to get backstage. And there's so much out there that you can find on that stuff. It's just wild. I invite anyone to go and YouTube the um, rat behind the music. It is on YouTube mm. for free. You can watch it. And just listen to Juan Crucier, the bass player, describe the debauchery that oh. was their backstage situation. It's uh, a little gross and a little scary, but uh, he doesn't pull any punches because he doesn't care. Um, it's because at this point, what has he got to lose? And so Go uh, read yeah, the they, dirt. Yeah. I don't know if I'd recommend anybody do that. <laughs> yeah, unless you're just really want to. I mean, like if you've seen the Netflix movie version, trust us, folks. That didn't even touch no, it. But anyway, the, the point is though they, they, they do a really good job though, and I think a fair job of representing what that mania was like. Yeah, what those fans absolutely. were like. And Brian, where, where I grew up, we didn't get concerts like mm. this. You had to go like to Nashville or Birmingham or Atlanta, and that just wasn't something we were you know going to be able to do growing up. So I only saw this stuff through the eyes of television, and then through friends who lived in those places and would come back home and would tell me about it. Mm. So I never got to see this in person. So to see it on screen like this, is kind of fun. It's sort of a, a way to live through it, if you will, for me. And it, and it is a heck of a show. I mean, and we got to say like the steel dragon band, three fifths of them are for real musicians. You got Zach wild, who everybody knows from Ozzy Osbourne and he's, you know, him more for his beard. Now he looks like what Michael Myers looked like in the Rob zombie Halloweens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got him as the lead guitar player, Jason Bonham, who's John Bonham's son, but also played with foreigner. And he played with Led Zeppelin in their, you know, rehashes and stuff played for a lot of stuff that he's the drummer and the bass player is Jeff Pilson from Dokken, uh, who I was a big fan of. So I recognized him immediately. And then even Dominic West, who's the other guitar player and is really doing the more of the acting. He actually can play. So he, he's not just up there, you know, goofing off. He looks like he knows he's not playing on the records, but he looks like he at least knows what he's doing. Unlike Timothy Oliphant, who has never held a guitar in his life. Uh, and you can tell <laughs> in the other scenes. And I don't know. I just thought it was, uh, I thought it was neat to watch those guys get to do their thing because when you see Zach Wild play, he has a stance and a way he plays that is sort of just him. Yep. And he just does himself here, which I thought was kind of cool. His hair's always going left and right and he's he's got yeah, he's kind of crouched in with the guitar between his legs and facing up, you know, doing that stuff. So yeah, it was fun. Uh the band was 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 fun. I really enjoyed a lot of that. And of course, what we get to here is um the fact that my favorite part of this beginning scenes are when Wes they come out of the concert because he's you know gone to try and get a backstage pass couldn't get one so then the next scene is they're coming out of the concert and all of a sudden they notice that the other Steel Dragon tribute band in the area has put replaced all of their flyers with their own and they get into this big brawl. <laughs> In the parking lot <laughs> between two Steel Panthers. But my favorite of the whole thing is that the two, I think it's the two bass players are holding each other and they're like, oh, don't rip my fishnet j- shirt. Yes. Oh, you let go of mine. <laughs> it was hilarious. I disagree with you. I think Jennifer Anderson gets the best line where she says to somebody like, I can sell you a better costume. You just got to tell me what you stick in your pants to make you, people think you're a guy. Yes, exactly. you know, and I'm like, I mean, Rachel laughed at that. I laughed at that. that was great. What's best is that the other singer in that band is this huge jerk to everyone. He's actually the lead singer of Third Eye Blind. Oh. 
And Stephen Jenkins has a prickly relationship, let's just say, with the world uh, and everybody around him. And while I like a lot of Third Eye Blind's music and stuff, he's not exactly somebody I would trumpet as an example of how to live your life. Um, <laughs> and so for him to play like the asshole singer of a band, yes, typecasting. Like I, wow. most of the time, they had to do multiple takes because Wahlberg and everybody kept cracking up at him. Like you would actually say that to somebody's face. He's like, "Yeah, so you know." And you realize like that there, there's a thing. There's a thing here that. That is that is paramount. You got to say this because Tom Cruise has talked about this. All the, all these people always talk about it. If you ever ask a movie star to choose, could you be a movie star or a rock star? They will always tell you, "I want to be a rock star," because you can do anything you want mm. when you're one. You really can. And yeah. that, I'm not saying that's okay, but you do get a different level of rope. Even in today's now age, you you can just get away with stuff that you can't if you're doing TV movies and stuff like that. And you technically only have to work a couple hours a day if you're successful right because someone else is loading your gear someone else is setting all your stuff up you just have to show up maybe for 15 minutes to do a sound check if if needed and then a couple hours to do a show and then it's party the rest of the time and sleep uh, so yeah is acting is like 8 to 12 hours on set on a day you know, it's pretty easy choice to choose, right? I don't know. Yeah, and I think there's just a notoriety that comes with it, too. But what you, you are right to call out that it's hilarious to watch the fight that oh, happens. Really good. And and we we get to watch them. Blood Pollution is the name of, of uh, the other Chris's <laughs> tribute band. Because <laughs> it's named after one of the songs. And he's getting on Timothy Oliphant. I think the guy's name is Rob, but we never really hear it. Um, and he's getting on him about like you're not you're not hitting the squeal, man. And he's like he's making him redo it like fifty times. And I'm just sitting there laughing, going, "Man, how many times did one of my guys get on me about not playing that solo right or whatever?" Because <laughs> I just I, I one I didn't possess the talent to really do that, but I also had zero desire to play like anybody else. I was like, "Whatever, I'll just play something. It'll be sort of in the same key, and we'll get by." You know, I I can understand. Rob's frustration with like, dude, I am so bored playing this stuff. And that's what you start to see with the rest of the band too, uh, is that they're doing it, but they're kind of being goaded along by him. Like if it wasn't for him, they, they would have stopped doing this stuff a long time ago. Oh, absolutely. I agree with that. And uh, it comes to a head, right? When we get to the scene where they're actually having their concert, Holy crap, what a huge audience for that concert. Right? You know, I, was like, I wish I could have got that. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember seeing that many people in the crowd when I played anywhere, that's for sure. Uh, except for when I played a festival, I saw some people, but that's about it. Uh, really killer crowd, and uh, my I just love it because he's... All the yeah, Timothy, Timothy Oliphant's character is into just jamming on the screen, and he starts doing these little ditties. And you see uh, Chris Cole look at him like the hell is that and then he does it again and he looks over he's like what the hell so then there's a break for the solo or whatever so he goes over and he's like what are you doing man what was that little ditty in the middle i don't know i was just playing that's not how it goes well they don't give a shit out there yeah but i do i do you stop it play it like it's supposed to be played and he goes over and then he takes and he starts just up and down the guitar with his fingers making all this noise and Wahlberg's character comes over and unplugs him from his amp and so he tells the roadie to plug him back in he plugs him back in and he takes a beer bottle and starts running that up and down the neck just to piss him off and then Wahlberg comes over and just slams the amp and practically destroys it and then they get into a fight 
<laughs> with each other. Yeah, like, oh yeah. I mean, they literally get in the fight on stage. I saw a band do this once. Oh, they man. weren't arguing necessarily over like who was playing what right, but it was more that you could just tell they were not together that night, and they got to do a fist fight on the stage. It was Jeez. awesome. Yeah, and it's funny. And what I love is Jennifer Aniston's like buy a T-shirt on your way out. You know, and a cassette like trying to sell a T-shirt them. and a cassette. Yes. <laughs> I'm like what? a cassette of what? You know, but okay. Apparently, it's sure. No, apparently so. they recorded the same songs. So their tribute band has a. Like, cassette of steel dragon songs i don't know yeah well again my wife who works in licensing was like did they did they just record those people's songs and i'm like yeah back back then nobody cared um (laughs) get away with that (laughs) you know i was like nowadays yes everyone would know because you would put it on youtube and you get copies right flag for it but i mean really not you know back then nobody nobody thought about that so they thought about it but it was really hard to catch right Mm -hmm. stuff like this but what you what you do notice when you're watching that is there are these two girls who were at the concert at the Steel Dragon concert? They've come to watch, you know, uh, Blood Pollution play, and they've got like a big old VHS camera, and they're shooting it. So they do get them doing some stuff, and that ends up in the hands of Kurt Cuddy, the guitar player uh, for Steel Dragon, played by Dominic West. And they, they do have a hilarious scene, or he does with with uh, Chris on the phone, where he's asking, like, "Is this really you?" You know, and he. And Chris thinks it's Rob screwed with him. He's like, look, man, I can't do anything about your crappy playing, but your accent's awful, too. And he's like, well, I can't do anything about the accent. What do you expect me to do about my play? Yeah, <laughs> and so right. realized, like, oh, I just insulted, like, my idol or whatever. And uh, We do have to mention, too, that, that before this scene, he goes to practice and, of course – They've brought in the other <laughs> Steel tri- Steel Dragon tribute band singer to be their singer, yes. and he's basically fired from the yes. from the group. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they, you know, here's this great thing with Blas Elias, the drummer in Blood Pollution, who we know from Slaughter, which who I knew immediately. You just can't miss that guy because he's an amazing drummer and he's got this look. It looks like Sebastian Bach playing the drums, but without all the weirdness. <laughs> um, so anyway, they, they talk about though in the band, like, dude, we thought this would like be a goof. Like, we didn't think we were going to keep doing this all these years later, and. They talk about, you know, hey, we're just going to play a dragon team, just get people in the door. Then we're going to play originals. And you see this thing with Chris where he's like, nobody cares about your originals. They're there for this. You know, it's this struggle with him. And there's a sweet moment with him and Emily. It's also kind of a sad one where she talks about, like, you remember this song you wrote for me, you know, when we were 15? It's made me fall in love with you, whatever. And he confesses to her, like, I didn't write that. I, I found that somewhere else and I just sang it to you. That's what I do. I sing it, but I don't write the words. And yeah. he just kind of slumps out of the car. And he's, it's this guy who realizes, like, you know, he's had a fight with his brother who's really just kind of picking on him. But he, he tells him some truth in that, like, hey, man, you dream about being somebody else. You know, why not do your That's own thing? Here. And the thing, yeah, the thing is, is that he's not, he's not confident in that. He doesn't know how to do that. And so then this is almost like where the movie becomes a fairy tale. Because what should happen is the dude cuts his hair, takes his copier repair job seriously, and just, you know, disappears into corporate America. But instead, his groupie friends get that VHS to this guitar player in L.A., and next thing you know, he's on a flight with Emily to go out there and try out for him. And it is it is a neat story, you know, to think about. Like, wow, if, what if you got a chance to try out with your favorite band? And you see this now, like... Um, uh, Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters is notorious for like finding people that are going to be at this concert that are fans or whatever that play and like bringing them up on stage and letting them play, you know, and just having some fun. Like that's, I think that's every musician growing up. Like that's your fantasy, right? Is to, you know, for one night I get to sit in with Guns N' Roses or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I agree that as a musician, what could be better than playing with your heroes, right? 
playing with heroes. Now, there's a great story that ties into this. Like, uh, look at Stone Temple Pilots, right? Uh, Scott Weiland's gone from the band. He's unfortunately deceased. Chester Bennington takes over. Chester Bennington, unfortunately, is deceased. The, the brothers wanted to keep Stone Temple Pilots going. So what did they do? They did a search for a new vocalist. And what did they do? They found a guy who was in a Stone Temple Pilots tribute band who sounds a lot like Scott Weiland, and he became the lead singer of his favorite band, and he is to this day. And I think that's kind of cool. So, you know, yeah, it could I mean, Journey did it. Yeah. Journey found it, a guy that sounds just yeah. like Steve Perry, a little Filipino guy, and he's, he's with him. Uh, NXS found somebody who was definitely not Michael Hutchins, but Adam Cole fit them well. You know, like they had. Look like, at Adam Lambert and Queen. Right. Adam Lambert. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, Adam Lambert. Yeah, with Queen. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's examples of this happening for sure. I, I, I said Adam Cole. I think that's a wrestler. I don't know where yes. I threw that in. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. But, I mean, the, the point being is um, we've seen this happen. But the funny thing is, is all, most all those kind of things happened after this movie. So, this movie, in some ways, is kind of uh, prophetic in its way that it, it found a way to, I don't know, let everybody live those rock and roll dreams or whatever um, before we knew that that was even a reality. And yeah. I dare say, Brian, it, it may have gave some of those guys the idea, you know, to try to pull that off and, and get that done. I don't know. I, I don't it's know if that's possible. true or not. But I, I mean, think it's it, many, many I years did, later. Yeah. No, it is. It is. It is totally many years later. But I do think it is fun to think about that and the fact that that that, that happened for so many of these guys. And, uh, um, you know, what what they were able to do afterward. I don't know. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool to think about. You know, John Stevens and JD Fortune are the guys I'm talking about in NXS. But yeah, I I think I think that's neat to see. And what you see is is so neat because they put him in the booth and he kind of screws up the first take uh, and it doesn't do very well with it. And then he gets going on the second one. He's like, hold on one more time. And they're like, do you, do you even know what you're doing, man? And he kind of calms himself down, him well, and Emily lock eyes, get- which, I mean, if you get to stare at Jennifer Aniston, that's good uh, <laughs> good inspiration for anybody. And he just sings his ass off. Uh, and, I mean, again, it's the guy from Steelheart. But, but to give Wahlberg credit, he actually is singing in all of those ticks because you, you can lip sync great but your throat never moves with it and mm. so he actually would sing so his throat well, he's, would go he's with a it. singer and, too yeah and by all accounts they said like he did fine like he didn't sound like that but he sounded you know decent enough and i think like the first time you hear him do that's actually him uh so and you can kind of hear it in the voice but it's it's neat to watch him win him over and what i love is he launches into the second verse and they just cut him off and he's like Oh shit! What I do wrong, you know? Yeah. And they're just having this little conversation, and they're like, "Yeah, okay, so uh, you want to do this?" I do want to make a point that the reason he screwed up the first two times is because of what he had just witnessed, right? His hero, yeah. Bobby Bear uh, Beers, has come in, and he, he didn't even know he was being fired at the time, and he comes in and has a big confrontation. He finds out that his best friend's being fired, which he didn't know at the time. He finds out that his, his uh, sorry, best friend, I shouldn't say, his uh, his idol, and he finds out his idol is gay, uh, which kind of throws it for a loop, and you know, they he watches this whole thing implode right there. So when they put him in the booth, he's a little frazzled because of what he's just seen, right? And doesn't know how to take it. So that's why he, he, he takes a couple times to get it going. But yeah, uh, now we can get to the part where <laughs> this is the part where my wife was totally all into this movie. Um, we need to discuss the parents first on this, okay? Because yes. this is important here. He's living at home. He's got to be in his 20s, 
right? I don't think they yeah, ever tell us 20s. how old he is, yeah. but he's in his 20s. He's living at home with mom and dad, chasing this tribute band dream, uh, living his life for Steel Dragon. We see his brother who comes in. He's a cop. And he's played by uh, Matthew Glaive. Is that it? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, yeah, and he's phenomenal. I love him in The Wedding Singer. And he always yes. plays kind of a jerk character. And he's phenomenal at it. And he comes in and he's egging him on. They get into this fight. And, of course, what does he do? He screams for mommy. <laughs> Which I thought was yes. absolutely yes. hilarious. And then we meet mom and dad. And mom and dad are all in on Izzy's lifestyle, right? They're in the crowd at the show. That's my kid, this and that. They're they're uh, they're helping sell merch at the merch table for the tribute oh, band. His, his dad sets up the show at like the power plant yep. he works at or whatever for him. And what I love is they have that conversation at the kitchen table and his dad's like, are they playing this song on this tour? He's like, no, they haven't played that one since 75. I was like, I Such love that song. I'm like, wow. It's phenomenal, <laughs> right? So kind of a metalhead. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so we get, the, we get the sense that they're all into this, right? And then we get to this press conference scene <laughs> and they're interviewing the new lead singer and pardon the language folks this is going to be an explicit version <laughs> but they're asking him what he does to keep his voice up and he starts going into uh my my vocal teacher this and that and the guitar player uh, cuts him off and says he eats a lot of pussy and he goes, yeah, that's it. I eat a lot of pussy. And mom says to dad, as they're all huddled around watching, like father, like son. And, <laughs> the, and then Mike, Mike's scared. his brother goes, oh, my God. And my Stop. wife absolutely <laughs> lost it at that part, laughing her ass off at that whole scene and then you get the next scene where he's sitting there in a mirror repeating yeah eat a lot of pussy yeah and doing it and all this accent and you all of a sudden see jennifer aniston pop up and go my god chris get in here and do it or stop talking about it and again <laughs> my wife just loses it I just thought that was the most hilarious scene and too, too funny but it is pulling that curtain back oh yeah like the rock and roll lifestyle like th this guy is trying to be his he was trying to be all excited or whatever and kurt realizes like this dude is such a nerd i've got to save him from himself and i've got to make <laughs> yes. him harder and cooler than he is so he gives him that line and what, what's funny again is how they play it all off for comedy uh and it is great comedy i mean it's a great piece of, of moment <laughs> and we, we get him at the concert and i love mom and dad get backstage brother gets pushed out by the bouncer i mean he's a poor guy is just on the outside the <laughs> Uh, but it's, it is funny, though. It's funny to watch those things happen. And you see him just soaking all this up. He's getting to take pictures, and they're trying to tell him, look tough, don't smile so much. Right, but he, he can't, can't help stop himself, himself, right? Yep. This is his life. And then he finally gets to his big moment, like first gig. Oh, and he's freaking out because he doesn't know what to do, right? And But something happens at the backstage of this. And I don't know that I ever really noticed this, but I, I caught it here, that he's – backstage and Emily's like you're gonna do great I'm so proud of you you know and she calls him Chris and he just says to her like call me Izzy you have to call me that I have to be in this character and she like doesn't really know how to deal with that she's like you're gonna be great babe just go get him you know and so he goes up to his riser and he's gonna come down these stairs behind the drum kit which you know seen that a hundred times right and the, my wife without remembering the movie says is he going to fall here? And I was like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to wait for about three seconds later. And he, he sure enough busts right in the middle of singing a song uh, called Blood Pollution, which I think is fun that they're like, well, let's open with that one since this kid's band was that. 
and he busts his head wide open. And to his credit, you know, they're trying to jam around him and figure out what to do. And he gets up and he just starts ripping the vocals out again with his face half torn up. But I'm like, you know, that is metal right there. Like, you do that stuff and you just come out and sing the damn song anyway. James Hetfield gets light, lit on fire, come out and sing the next night, baby. You know, no, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, he well, not. you know, he, he'd like for you to think he did. But He went but to yeah, the hospital and they didn't tour for a little while. <laughs> but that's what, I mean, Axl Rose busts his ankle while he's trying to tour with Guns N' Roses and ACDC and they just put that dude up in a pimp throne and just yeah. throw down you know I mean that's because the show goes on baby and this this one I love is you get to watch him do his thing right and he gets to he gets to sing these songs and he's just ripping it apart and and there's part of the crowd that is like bring Bobby back and he gets a fire hose on him or whatever and by the yes. end of that second song he's won the crowd over yeah and and what you see at the end is when he comes out of that the guys in the band are like dude that you really nailed that like that was you you powered right through the worst thing that could have happened to you you fell off the stage and you just got up and kept singing and i i don't know it was cool to watch that it's fun that's the thing about this movie is up to this point if you just go for the ride here this is a lot of fun Mm -hmm. right it's also where the movie is going to take a real dark turn because now we got to own up to the fact that the rock and roll lifestyle is kind of nasty and there's a lot of bad stuff we're about to do the sex drugs rock and roll part we've done the rock and roll part now it's for the sex and drugs part and that's where things get a little complicated yeah i do want to that whole scene where he falls down reminded me of something so they always say uh you want to get the worst out right away. So he got the worst out right away. It reminded me of my first gig that I did after many, many moons when Matt and I were doing an acoustic duo. We had a gig in uh, a small town and I brought my van at the time with all the gear in it and I was backing up the van in the backstage area to unload the gear and all of a sudden I hear a pop. My back windshield goes completely out. Like it was busted. I ran into a dumpster. And so the, they had a dumpster back there, but it had this piece hanging off the end of it sticking out that I didn't see in my rear view. And I ran into it and it exploded my win- window. And Matt looks at me and goes, well, you got the bad part out of right away. The rest of the night will be great. <laughs> <laughs> and so that reminded me of that whole time. But yes, we get to the point where they're backstage now. Uh, it's the after party, so to say. They're at some sort of a club. And they're just partying it up. Everyone's dancing. And I, I, I love the fact that Matt's tries to warn Emily of what is about to be happening. And how... She either will be accepting of it or need to move on because that's how it's just going to be. And so he kind of gives her that little spiel. Well, meanwhile, she's drinking whatever she's got, some cocktail that's been cooked up. And we do do need to talk about this Tanya character, right? Tanya is uh, one of their people who actually meets uh, Chris and Emily at the airport to bring them to uh, the guitar player's house for the audition. Um, she's an interesting character. And he, in, Chris instantly recognizes her as one of Bobby's ex-girlfriends. And she kind of laughs that off. Okay, which we'll find out why after this night. Um, anyway, she's getting into it. And they're trying to separate Emily and Chris with all sorts of distractions, she's giving him pills and they're getting hot guys in with Emily and hot girls in with Chris and they, but they keep coming back together. And then all of a sudden 
guess the next morning we wake up and Emily wakes up in a bed naked and looks around and doesn't recognize anyone there, finds her clothes, gets the heck out of there, right? Meanwhile, Chris is passed out on the floor in the living room with a ton of naked people and he wakes up has no clue what's going on, finds out he's in his underwear, you know, starts walking around, and he comes by the bathroom, and there's Tanya taking a piss, standing up. <laughs> yep, and big reveal. Uh, is the big that reveal is that... A guy in drag. That's uh, now she is a man. Played by an actress. Yeah, this is uh, Dagmar mm-hmm. Dominic's, who's uh, married to Patrick Wilson uh, of of Blumhouse horror fame, uh, and it's been in a lot of stuff. But yeah, that's the big moment um, because they had this laugh about it later. Or Matt's does when they're trying to get on the tour buses, and he's telling Emily, "You got to ride with the wives and girlfriends." And she's like, "Well, who are all these chicks getting on the bus?" Well, that's an astrologer, and that's the. <laughs> yes. And then he points at Tanya, and he goes like, "Well, we all know what that is, right?" And they kind of look at each other like. Well, we do now. Yeah. <laughs> and the best part of that is that they do meet up at their hotel room, and uh, he kind of looks at her and goes, "Did you?" And she said, "Let's just let's just not. Yeah, <laughs> they're just go to bed. Like this is not talk about it." Um, but but this is clearly a thing though that they have been together a long time, and while they're in their mid to young twenties, they're not. They don't do this. Normal people don't party like this. They don't they don't know right. this world, and they don't know how to deal with it. And that's the thing that should be noted is all these guys in this band are in their late 30s or early 40s. Yep. They've been doing this for a long time. Like They're played off as much like Judas Priest. They have been big since the 70s, They and now they're into their second decade. And you know, they, they've been around a while, so they kind of have lived this life and know yep. it. He has no idea what he's in for, mm-hmm. and he doesn't really know how to, you know, what to do with it, you know, and it it becomes a problem though too because it does separate him from her, and she is his rock and anchor. We can tell, yeah. And she gets on the 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 limo with you know Rachel Hunter and all these other models and stuff like that, who some of which were actually married to and dated rock stars. Ah, Rachel and Hunter they start and having the old Rod Stewart. Yeah, right. And what's funny is this one girl is telling her like, honey, just learn how to have a lot of fun with it or, you know, and deal with it. And she said, you know, I hope I'm not cynical when I'm your age. And they look at her and go, she's 23. And the girl's like, I'm 22 and a half. Thank you very much. And the look on her face, though, is like, oh, my Lord, what have you done to yourself? Because you look like you're 40, you know, and but you see that she ultimately becomes friends with one of these girls, too, because they're together all the time. She talks about, hey, you know, Chris, this is cool and all, and I want you to keep doing it, but I got to get off the road. Me and Marcy, who's Marcy? My roommate. You know Marcy. I, she and I have got a loan together. We're going to start a business up, which I don't know. Do they like start Starbucks or something in Seattle? I don't know they, what they never to told there. us. Yeah, they never told us what yeah, the business Yeah, caribou was. coffee. Yeah, so, something. It's some sort of coffee shop. But anyway, she, she's going to go do this in Seattle because she's – done with this like she's like, i don't want to be a part of this anymore and that leaves him to his own devices and all he does is kind of spiral out of control and we just see like the calendar just flip by it's just show after show after show after show um and when she comes back to see him again when they come back to seattle he doesn't even know where he is he's like i thought i was yeah. gonna meet you in seattle she's and she has to tell him twice you are in seattle and she realizes, like, not only is he, you know, obviously very intoxicated on a lot of drugs, but he's also slept with all of these women, you know, oh, yeah. as he's been cheating on her the whole time. And, you know, he's sort of confronted with it at that moment. And that's when she leaves him and walks away. And it's it's a heartbreaking moment, man. It's when the movie turns really sad. And I think mm-hmm. it's when, when the fun really ends for the movie. What's when the fun 
really ends for Chris as well. I mean, it's shortly after this that he actually leaves. He has a real good heart-to-heart conversation with Mats, who tells him, you know, I was in love at one time, and um, instead of chasing that love, I ended up here. And, you know, really gives him a heart-to-heart on the whole thing that makes him flip his perspective of where things are and where they're going. Um, and then we see the concert then where he finds the kid in the front row. It's a repeat of the scene where he was in the front row and Bobby found him. Yeah. And to back up just a bit, the other thing that happens, and this is what what is sort of lost over in the Bobby Beers part. They didn't kick Bobby Beers out of the band because he was gay. They didn't care what he did with his personal life. They kicked him out of the band because he wanted to write songs and have input. And what you learn is that the drummer, Jason Bonham and Kurt Cuddy write the songs and they don't write some of the songs. They write all of the songs. Right. And they, that's just what they do. And the other two guys just kind of go along with it. And it's kind of like a, Paul and Gene thing and and Kiss, you know, you either sign up for that or you don't, you know, that's just part of the gig. And Bobby wanted to do that too. And Chris comes in after, you know, a little bit of a tour break and it's like, Hey, I've got all this material for the new album. And they're like, that's cute. Get in there and sing like we want you to. And he kind of screws around for a little bit, does a Marky Mark rap thing. And then <laughs> sings the song the way they want. And so what you realize is that he ends up recording a whole album with them. But you can tell he hates it. And he's done with it. Yeah. And he's just looking for a way out. And he has that repeat in the moment. He hears that fan in the front, Miles Kennedy, who sang with, gosh, you know, the leftovers of Creed made Alter Bridge, which is a good, you know, decent band, sort of like Creed less annoying I would call it but he's been in a lot of bands he's sang with a lot of people you know the voice if you if you know anything about the music uh, industry but he drags him up on stage and basically just hands it over to him and I love how he walks backstage with Matt he's like are you just gonna take the night off he's like no I'm just gonna take a whiz and I'll see you later and your Matt knows exactly what he's saying he's like gotcha go ahead take care of yourself. And, you know, and he just mm-hmm. walks out and yeah. that's when he's done. And what you realize is that the guys don't care. Like they, they can just replace him just like they did Bobby. And we'll kind of see that at the end that they just sort of go on ahead. Cause the show goes on. Cause it's, they're the guys that are the band. They even get a little scene at the end here of the movie, which we'll get to where they're talking, they do kind of interview style, right back to the beginning where they started with the interview. Now they're coming back to it after all this has happened. But um, what I thought was uh, interesting this kind of plays into um, another potential uh, inspiration for this part is that in Black Sabbath, if you, I don't remember, you know the whole story of Black Sabbath, but you know you had Ozzy, you had uh, Dio, Ian uh, Gillen took over, then you had a craptastic album that uh, they did with Glenn Hughes that wasn't supposed to be a Black <laughs> Sabbath album. It's actually a really good album, but it's not a Black Sabbath album. Record company made them do Black Sabbath. Well, after that. They had this guy named Ray Gillen that they had brought in to be a vocalist for them, wrote a whole album with Ray Gillen and recorded it. And then Ray Gillen left the band. Wow. So they had this album can. So then they brought in Tony Martin and Tony Martin redid all the vocals on that album, which became the Eternal Idol. And they released it with Tony Martin. So that's kind of like similar to what's going on here is Bobby has recorded mm-hmm. all the vocals, but now they got this new guy. He'll come in, he'll re-record everything before they put it out, and Bobby will be a flash in the pan. Nobody knows Ray Gillen was in Black Sabbath. It's just a blip in time. They didn't, you know, Tony Martin came out, and then Tony Martin was head of the band for a while. And then everything, you know, happened with Dio and Ozzy and Dio and 
Tony, and it was back and forth for a while. But that's kind of like an inspiration there where, like, okay, well, we've recorded this whole album, but we'll get a new singer and we'll re-record. And, oh, we don't know who that guy is. Yeah, Flash the Exactly, band. right? Yeah. yeah I mean, well, or, or if you know the story of Mitch Malloy's uh, very oh, short time Van as the Halen, lead singer yeah. of uh, Van Halen, and then all of a sudden here's David Lee Roth with him. So, you know, that I mean, it's very, very similar. But what we see happens to Chris is he goes to Seattle. He's cut his hair off uh, in a really bad haircut, my wife said. Uh, and he's, he's cut it short, and he kind of bumps into his old friend Rob, who's also cut his hair off. So Timothy Oliphant's got this bowl cut thing going on. And they've decided, like, let's write our own stuff. Well, and he's like, learned like, how to play the guitar, too. Yes, he's learned how to play, and he's, he's doing all this. And what they do is they, they turn out singing the Verve Pipe. And I always remember like thinking to myself, like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. There's no way the metal singer would become the Verve Pipe. Except Ooh. I remember something, Brian. I've seen the Verve Pipe live, and it's one of the loudest, most aggressive bands I've ever heard. If all you know from them is their hit single, The Freshman, you don't know the Verve Pipe kids. I'm telling you, that is a killer band. And uh, I, I like it. I kind of like that that happens at the end. It's But there's one thing that bugs me about it. It's almost too convenient that in Seattle, which is a huge place, his ex-girlfriend running her coffee shop would run into a poster of Chris Cole and his new band, and that's how they would meet cute again at the end. That part kind of, it would have been better if he stopped by her place and said, I want you to just take a listen to something. And he put it on the you know, the CD on the table for her or whatever, because coffee shops always play music. If she had put it on and been like, holy cow, is that you? And if it was some sort of reprise of what song she thought he wrote him years ago or whatever, you know, or he wrote for her years ago, like that would have been a little bit better it's a little clunky here in the end um i don't know I, i've been to seattle um most of the music takes place in the same general area so to me it's not that big of a deal that she would have found him there um just because they have the the way the city is set up uh most of that live music stuff is going to be in the same general spot um there are other places obviously out there that you can go to but there is a large area there that has a lot of music and stuff like that going on so not too big of a surprise i don't think now you mentioned going from a metal band to this kind of like alt alt rock or singer songwriter type style let me tell you something there's this guy out there named cody jinx have you heard of cody jinx okay cody jinx no 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 cody jinx was a singer in a death metal band do you know what he does now (laughs) country (laughs) music Old well, that, school that country music. Me because country music is so weird nowadays. Old school country music. We're talking Waylon and Willie type country music. Yeah, but didn't like one of the ex rappers like do a country music album now? Yeah, but it wasn't and, old school and, country. That yeah. was crap country. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking Darius Rucker to country type stuff here. I'm talking going from death metal, guttural voice stuff to playing like. Deep voice country music. Good stuff. Wow. Like awesome. Wow. Um, I'll have to look that up because no, I did not know that. Highly recommend Cody Jinx. If you like that old Willie Whalen outlaw country style, perfect for that. Really cool. I'll hear you on that. To me, I think it's the thing that happens at the end that I think I bump up against more than anything. It's just the confluence of convenience that happens. He has to reunite with his old friend that he, you know, that he, they had a falling out or whatever. Like I, I would have been okay if that just never happened, you know? And he obviously has to get back with the girl. I, I'm okay with that. 
I guess is a storytelling device. I just feel like they rush all of it at the end. Like this movie could uh, honestly well, do. This movie's an hour and fifty minutes long. It, it could have been ten minutes longer. It would have been okay. Yeah, they 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 punch in a probably a good six months or so of story in the last five six minutes of the movie after he has left the band right they show him learning the guitar writing his songs sitting out there and um meeting up with his friend now do they ever say where they're at originally what city they're in they're they're in pittsburgh they're in pittsburgh pennsylvania okay so not only is he in seattle now but his former guitar player has moved to seattle as well and <laughs> maybe he heard Nirvana and his life changed, man. That happened for a lot of people. Uh, I don't know. But all of a sudden they meet up again and he talks about how he's writing his own stuff and this and that. And they, you know, obviously he's cut his hair and the other guys cut his hair. It's I mean, perfect. The other, thing, the other thing is they show him hitchhiking into town. But he's not doing anything else. I'm like, look, the dude could afford the Batmobile at one time. I'm like, look, he, 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 unless he was just a complete moron, he's probably still got a little bit of dough. Like, it would have been fine if he rolled into town, like, just in an old beat-up car or something. Like, he was, like, sort of downsizing and trying to make his small rock and roll fortune string out for a while. But yeah. uh, that, I, that was a little bit much. It's was like, wait, wait, he's not hitchhiking to town. Like, come on, y'all. Like, he, yeah. he would have a little bit of dough. And and as much as he, you know, the band would have might wanted to screw him out of it or whatever, I'm sure there was the contract that's like he's going to get paid for that record because he did sing on it. You know? No, I highly, I, I bet, I bet there wasn't. But uh, he, I'm pretty sure he used all the dough that he got from that uh, whole thing to put it up his nose and all that stuff because he. <laughs> Maybe was, that's what they're saying. Well, honestly, I don't know. But um, hey, you know, it's kind of cool. It's it. What I think is fun is that you have that whole bit at the beginning where the band breaks up. Tells him he's out because they want to play original tunes. They're playing in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people as a tribute band. And look at him play at a coffee shop with maybe 10 people there. Yeah. It's a true look at what it's Mm -hmm. like to go from a set of recognizable songs that people know to your own stuff. And you go from having hundreds, maybe a thousand people watching you to nobody. Because they don't know yeah. what you're doing, it's it's and that is very real. Is very I lived real. that myself. Very real. Yes, we we both have done that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's that is a that is a scary moment when you walk out on stage and realize we're just playing our songs tonight. Like it's also kind of an empowering thing too because you realize like, well, if everybody hates them, so what? They don't know them anyway. Mm-hmm. But we're kind of living and dying by what we've got. And I I you know I I've talked about that before with you offline that. I, that was the coolest part of being in a band for me when we got to the point where we were like, we're going to play one cover and we're going to bury it in the middle of the set. And it's not going to even be one people would know. Yeah. We're, we're going to play our stuff and we're just going to roll with it. And to have built a little bit of a following with it like we did, that was fun because mm-hmm. people would show up to the, to the show and would know our songs. That was, that was one of the coolest things I think I've ever experienced. I, I and, am right there. And he kind of gets the same thing. I mean, it, it's neat to watch him do that. But the thing that you also realize is that He's finally found music for himself, yeah. and he doesn't care what everybody else thinks. Exactly. And that's really when you make it is when you don't care what anybody thinks. You're doing it for yourself. Yeah. It reminds me, um, when I was in the band, we got to open for Uncle Cracker. And uh, awesome. it was just myself and Matt doing acoustic stuff. And when you get on stage and there's 600, 700 or whatever people staring at you, and you're playing, you know, whatever cover songs that you have 
that's a weird feeling up there. I mean, that's freaky. You, you know, you don't want to screw up a song people know. And you turn that around, and at the end of the tenure of the band, we were playing mostly our own tunes. And nobody was coming to see it. You know, it was what it was. Uh, but you had those 10 people who would come when they could. And there was one time on stage when we're playing a song that I had written. And I look out, and there's someone singing the lyrics back to us. Coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And that was the night that I was fulfilled the most as a musician, was when something I wrote was being sung back towards us. Pretty cool feeling. No, it is. And, and honestly, man, we're almost at 300 episodes of this podcast. That's exactly what it's like when somebody on Twitter or on Facebook or you know, Instagram or whatever writes us and sends us a DM or notes yeah. us, hey, I really love this movie. I love that y'all cover this. That's so fun. I, and we don't know them from anybody. That's the coolest thing ever. Y'all, yeah. You will never know how much we appreciate that, y'all, if you're listening to this and you've done that or you've ever thought about doing it. Please do it. People appreciate that. Your your podcast people, maybe not famous people that do podcasts, screw them. But people like <laughs> us, just, just who really built podcasting, by the way, people like us, that's who appreciates it. Because there's nothing cooler. Because, I mean, we, we do this, Brian, because you and I like talking about movies. Mm-hmm. And, and everybody on the show, we like talking to each other about movies. And we put it out there. And the fact that people listen to it blows my mind to this day. Yeah. And people talk to us about it. I think that is so cool. And it's very similar to this. It's, I'm playing my songs my way, and I don't care what anybody thinks. And what's cool is you can tell they've built up enough a repertoire because he tells the guy, Timothy Oliphant, like, I'm going to go talk to Emily since she showed up at the gig. And that's when they you know, they have their, their meet at the end or whatever. It's, I think my only complaint about it, and I'm betting it's what people don't like about the movie is that they just compressed too much of that into five minutes. We've just spent 15 minutes talking about it and it would have been better if they had cut out some of the goofy stuff in the middle to maybe have more of that at the end. Or just extend the movie. It's an hour and 46 minutes. Add 15 minutes to the end of the movie, make it a two hour movie. I don't see why that would be a problem either, but I agree. Um, The third act is very short, very short, Um, Mm -hmm. but it really drives home the point that, you know, even though he, gave up that lifestyle he didn't give up the pursuit to be someone again right and on you know it shows that his name was big well he was izzy nobody knew him as chris cole and now he's performing as chris cole so um but he he could have gone out there as izzy formerly of steel dragon and probably pulled in more people but he's doing it the hard way and i think that's the cool part about the whole thing well the other thing too is he does it in a place he doesn't know he doesn't go back home yeah and do it. He goes to a place he doesn't know. He goes to a place where the scene is at the time, you know, the music scene is. And he's like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it here. Well, you he know? also and has I, a motivating like that. factor that Emily is there, right? He knows right. Emily is there. And I think that's ultimately what he goes there for is to hopefully find Emily again, which kind of, to me, that would be the first thing I would think he would have done. Um, unless he's just really embarrassed about how he acted and didn't know how she would react to him. Oh, I, th- I think he even says that to her there is that he, he just didn't know what to say after she busted him basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and the thing is though, <laughs> Emily is like the coolest rock and roll girlfriend ever because she tells Matt before she goes back there and busts him at the big party or like, I'm not here to check up on him. I know what he's been doing. I don't care. I just don't want him to lie to me about it. 
Right. You know, and the fact that he tries to lie to her about it is what pisses her yep. off and, and breaks her heart. Because she's like, you don't have to lie to me. I know what you're doing. I, I did it with you. You know, like, I, I'm here. I get it. Just just act like you're in my space for a minute. And, you know, he couldn't. But, you know, they wind up together at the end, and that's sort of where we are. So, Brian, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Rockstar? I mean, I love this movie, and I don't know if it's because you, you and I, Jay, are musicians that we like it a little more than most people, but I really love this movie. I think it's great on comedy. I think it's great on, uh, you know, Music, it's phenomenal for the music. I think the story's fun and entertaining and makes sense. And uh, I just really enjoy watching this movie. So for me, I'm giving it a large popcorn. I like it. I don't know why people, you know, don't as much as I do. You know, man, I think you've hit it. I think if you've ever played music or played in a band or done anything creative with a group of people, if it was theater or whatever it might be, you can relate to parts of this movie and sort of like the dream of, oh, if, what if I you know, got called up to be on Hamilton or something like that if you're in theater mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, it's, it's a dream, right? And it's everybody's kind of fantasy to do. But even if you haven't lived that, the story is, is still something you can relate to. And it is so much fun. That's the thing. You, can, you watch this movie and you realize that everybody making it is having a lot of fun. Uh, by all accounts, they all had a blast doing it. They really enjoyed it. Mark Wahlberg talks about when he was uh, shooting Perfect Storm was when he found out he got this movie in breaks between that he would go hang out with like guys from Motley Crue and all these other bands in LA to just kind of see what it was like and he said I didn't really partake but I kind of watched he said you know and I had been in the hip-hop scene he said but that's a different party scene than the rock scene he said so I I felt like I kind of got a graduate education and what that was like by watching this guys he had a lot of fun making it everybody involved had a lot of fun with it and it has lasted and I think now in particular because the 80s is now back in style and it's fun again. And I mean, you play those, those 80s rock anthem songs from Def Leppard and ACDC and all that at a party. Everybody gets up and dances. They move around. They have a good time because it's fun music. Yeah. You know, and it still lasts and a lot of those bands are still going and living kind of off that nostalgia. And if for nothing more, this movie is just a huge nostalgia trip, whether you've ever played in a band or done anything or not, if you just like this stuff in your car when you were in high school and college, it's definitely worth a revisit. And again, the ending's a little clunky. It doesn't completely work, but if you give, if you've gone with the movie that far, I think you can find enough in it to enjoy it. And I'm with you. This is large popcorn and a lot of fun. And I'm glad we finally got to knock this one off the list, man, because we've talked about this one for years too on film strip here. And again, both of us having played in bands and have done music together and stuff, it was, one day we were gonna we were gonna circle around this one and get to it. So I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk about Rockstar, man. Yeah, and I do want to tell people too, if you go and watch this movie, make sure you stick around for the credits because there are some oh, yeah. great stuff in there that they throw in. There's they they like I said earlier, they finish the interview type thing, little clips here and there where the band is like, I don't even know who you're talking about anymore. Yeah, you know, who's that? Yeah. You know, they try to play. You find it off out like Bobby you, Beers and Vince Riverdance or whatever. Yeah, Bobby Beers has become he, he decided to do something more uh, productive in life and he becomes a river dancer and then uh you know the best part is the 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 joke that they play on on mark Wahlberg uh as he's up yeah. there doing the scene where they're on stage they all of a sudden just pipe in the marky mark and the funky bunch good vibration song and they yes. bring out dancers and everything you start doing the old marky mark dance from the video yeah the crew starts breakdancing he tries to do the worm i mean hilarious. it is funny because you can tell he kind of gets this look in his face like okay i knew it was coming <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and and then he goes into his marky mark tough boston it ain't about all that rock and roll that's the bling bling 
mumbling. It's yep. like he's playing his old role, and it's sort of funny to watch him. Which you realize is how good a performer this guy really is. Yeah. Like he can switch personas like that. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. It, it's always fun to to have uh, good outtakes uh, that are also kind of sort of serving the story as you go through. So it's a lot of fun uh, to stick around and, and watch this. And I would I'll also dug in there too. Throw that soundtrack in your Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon Music machine. Just throw that on there and give it a listen. The the, the Steel Dragon songs are actually some of the best stuff. Like it, all the other popular songs that they throw on it are fine, but you can find those on other compilations. It's the Steel Dragon tunes that are cool because yeah. it's pretty much the the three real musicians from Steel Dragon and then the different singers they brought in to sing the songs. It's a lot of fun. I agree. It's a lot of fun, and it's really cool to look at uh, who wrote all those songs too. I love soundtracks, and I, and I like looking at those type of things, especially when they write uh, original material. I do like a good soundtrack that has great music in it, and they did. They you know they they brought in Priest, they brought in all sorts of different um, music from that era, and uh, but then they have you know a couple really solid tunes for the band to use. I mean, like, yeah, like Stand Up and Shout, I think Sammy Hagar wrote for yep, them. Yep, and, yep. you know, and, and Blood Pollution's a song. They actually wrote a full song. Which I always find that fun, like, when the fake <laughs> band has cool songs. That I mean, it's like that thing you do. Like, that song is awesome. You know, the Fountains of Wayne guys hit that one out of the park. You know, it's the same kind of thing. So, it's a lot of fun. I definitely recommend that soundtrack for folks. Brian, we've kind of danced around and talked about it a little bit. You've got some other stuff going on where people can follow your musical interests and stuff. Tell people where they can find that. Yeah, so I do... Uh, vinyl records i'm a vinyl record collector and uh i have a facebook and an instagram page that um i post everything i listen to throughout the day and i work from home so i'm able to throw albums on quite often i probably do between three and six a day uh so if you're interested in seeing what kind of music i like it's all over the place and you can check out the the records that i play throughout the day at brian's vinyl records and uh, you can look me up on Facebook. I post the same thing. So whatever your preference is, Instagram or Facebook, Brian's Vinyl Records, you can find me there. Uh, that's really my big thing. I try to do a podcast there, too. Uh, with the pandemic and everything, it gets really difficult to uh, get time to sit down and really think about topics and things like that for a vinyl podcast. So hopefully now that kids are starting to go back to school, yes, I will have some free time to figure that out and hopefully bring this podcast back. Absolutely, folks. Check that out. And of course, follow the show's social media at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There you'll find all of our show announcements and posts from the different hosts about the stuff that we're watching and doing, even when we're not recording episodes. You can also find links uh, to our link tree that'll take you to our letterbox page, for instance, where there's, you know, every movie we've ever reviewed. We're almost at number 300 uh, episodes. That's unbelievable to think about, Brian, all the stuff that we've talked about through the years. And then, of course, if you go to filmstrippodcast.com, you'll find a link to our anchor by Spotify page. That'll take you to all the places you can find the podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. We're there. Leave us a positive review, share the show with others. And Hey, drop us a DM, drop us a line. Let us know what you think of the shows. Um, any of the movies we talk about, we really appreciate the support for Brian. I'm Jay. Thank you for listening to film strip. Thank you for listening to film strip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.